Panacea Advisor just held the UK's first virtual conference for financial services. Retirement Choices 2016 was a unique, if slightly surreal, experience. It was complete with virtual stands, a virtual auditorium, keynote speakers and avatars of company representatives. My guests today are Derek Bradley and James Bradley from Panacea. We chat about where the idea for the virtual conference came from, how they put it together and convince providers to sponsor it. And we talk about the lessons they've learned after that successful first foray into virtual reality. That's all right here in episode 82 of the Marketing, Protection and Finance podcast. Welcome, you're listening to the podcast for financial services professionals looking to share business ideas and inspiration in the world of marketing, protection and finance. So let's get on with the show and here's your host, Roger Edwards. Hi folks and welcome to the Empath Podcast. Thanks as always for downloading or streaming this episode and plugging me and my guests into your headphones. I appreciate your support, your encouragement and your feedback. If this is your first time listening to the show, let me give you a quick snapshot of who I am. I'm a marketing guy from Edinburgh. I help people like you with your marketing strategy, content and social media. Until I set up my own business, I was in and out of senior marketing roles in UK financial services companies for over two decades. Some of you might remember me as the marketing director and then the managing director of Bright Grey and Scottish Provident. One of the things we talk about on the show quite often is the complex language, jargon, management speak and gobbledygook that finds its way into financial services copy. It's been a particular obsession of mine to help wipe it out. I've just written a new ebook called Business Writing Tips for Simpler Copy. Seven tips for transforming jargon and complexity into clear, engaging text. I talk about banishing the bullshit, using active, not passive language, and giving you lots of examples of how to make your writing simpler. If you'd like a free copy, just visit rogeredwards.co.uk. That's rogeredwards.co.uk and fill out the form. And now for that virtual conference, Retirement Choices, recently run by Panacea Advisor. Launched in February 2007, Panacea Advisor is a unique and free resource. They support financial advisors, mortgage brokers and power planners by providing free online access to the very latest news, views, tools, research, educational support and business development ideas from product providers and support services all in one place. My guests are Derek Bradley, who is the CEO, and James Bradley, who is head of e-relationships. The Panacea community grew from 100 small advisors supported by eight providers in 2007 to a community of 17,000 Equifax Touchstone Validated Financial Services Professionals supported by 40 firms in 2016. So let's get right into that interview here on the Marketing, Protection and Finance Podcast. So Derek, James, welcome to the Empath Podcast. Well, thank you, Roger. And uh, it's, uh, as they say, it's nice to be back. It seems such a long time ago that we did the first one of these. It actually was a long time ago, Derek. I think you were um, you were within the first 10 of my interviews. And of course, now this will be Empath Podcast episode 82. So we are almost two years down the line. Absolutely incredible. I know when we spoke the other day, it did seem quite extraordinary. It was, uh, it was so many. And from James's point of view, say he's here in the office with us as well. This is his first one. So he's, his is not a welcome back. 
<laughs> so maybe we should just start off by reminding everybody who's listening to the Empath Podcast, first of all, Derek, who you are, and James, if you want to introduce yourself as well. Okay, well, um, Roger, I, uh, uh, hopefully some people will be uh, aware, I'm, uh, I'm the guy that uh, founded Panacea Advisor. Uh, it was originally set up to deal with the problem that uh, smaller directly regulated IFAs were having with the support they were getting from providers and uh, I felt that it was very unfair that so much resource was devoted towards networks and nationals that decided that something needed to be done about it and uh, although it, incredible as it seems that we've been going out just over nine years now over that period of time we've developed into quite an interesting and powerful uh, community that, that with an outreach now of around about twenty one and a half thousand we're working with 14 uh, providers and we've all sort of lined up and I think what has come out of um, that the data that we are sort of constantly accumulating is that if uh, Panacea was a network and it, it is not and we're not in distribution, uh, the influence it now has based on latest touchstone data that we had for Q4 2015 is that it uh, represents something in the region of 65% of total uh, business done uh, over that period of time. So if we were a network, we'd say we'd be a, a pretty serious beast. That's remarkable growth, Derek, and um, from a standing start as well. And, and I think it's probably fair to describe you as one of the most prolific content creators in the financial services industry. Uh, but James, why not give us a little bit of background about yourself as well? Yeah, I'm, I'm head of e-relationships, and I also um, create the Vento newsletters and service emails. So, so Derek creates the stuff, and I... I put it in the newsletter and send it out. And, and also, uh, from James's point of view, I think he's sort of hiding his light a little bit under a bushel there because uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of uh, uh, it's a little bit deeper than that you, um, from a relationships management point of view, which, of course, you're coming from a provider background, Roger, you'll, you'll realise the importance of having boots on the ground. Well, you know, James is out boots on the ground and going out and seeing people. And the reason I wanted to get you back on the podcast, Derek, and, and welcome you to the podcast, James, is to talk about the recent virtual conference that you um, unleashed upon the financial services industry. And you were very kind enough to invite me to that conference. And I have to say it was quite a surreal experience actually sitting at my computer, walking down a virtual corridor into a virtual conference hall and seeing virtual stands from product providers, watching videos of people's presentations in a virtual um, auditorium, and being able to download and interact with material and actually stand and talk to avatars of people that I knew in real life, but I knew were actually sat behind a computer somewhere else um, typing in as I was typing in. So an extremely interesting, innovative, and pretty unique experience that I've had and no doubt everybody who attended your conference had. So I really wanted to get you on the show to dig really quite deep into where the idea came from, how you put it together and, and effectively how successful it's been. So why, why don't you just give me a little bit of background where the idea came from for the virtual conference? Well, um, it, we were approached uh, almost two years ago now actually by a, a firm called Hyperfair who are a San Francisco based uh, technology firm. They have been doing some work around uh, uh, events uh, and in fact, in, in fact, had actually uh, done one in, in, in Europe within the financial services industry. And they 
uh, had heard about what Panacea did and knew a little bit about the community and they thought that this might be an interesting way of using the, the community aspect of what we do and, and look at ways in which you could bring that to, to life and this technology was clearly something which they thought had potential uh, to be able to do that. I, uh, you might be surprised that it was two years ago. On the other hand, perhaps you, you, you might not, but I, <laughs> I can't emphasize how long it has taken to get this thing to fly. Uh, and and the, the, there are a number of reasons behind it. I, I think uh, historically this is an industry that uh, finds it difficult sometimes to engage with something that's new mm-hmm. and something that's a little bit different Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on there, which I, you know, I have a certain sympathy with, but I, uh, I think that uh, it, you sometimes have to just try something different because uh, the cost of events is, is is high, as I'm sure you you, uh, you all know. Yeah. Uh, and we're not only talking about uh, venue cost and that sort of thing, but we're talking about the ancillary costs that go alongside that, like staff, travel, accommodation, producing a physical material and all that sort of stuff. So the, the idea was not particularly mine, but say we, we were approached to kind of see whether this would, uh, would do well in the, in, in the UK. I think you're actually tapping into the sense of community that the internet gives us. I mean, a lot of people are members of mastermind communities. A lot of people like to be part of Facebook groups, LinkedIn groups. And there's always that element of interaction within that sort of environment. And I think that what you've done here is created an online conference, but it's also tapped into that sense of community. The fact that you can sit in front of a computer and have a virtual experience, but still interact with real people. And I have to say from my point of view as you would expect the fact that I live in Scotland and the vast majority of events that take place in UK financial services are in London so if I want to go to the health insurance awards if I want to go to the protection review conference if I want to go to the money marketing awards or whatever conference it might be I have to hop on a plane I have to come down south I have to stay in a hotel and it costs time and it costs money this was unique because I didn't even need to leave my house. I sat in front. I didn't even need to put a suit on. The, the, the joy of it was that I, I actually created my avatar that walked down the corridors, and I could even dress that avatar in, in a suit and pretend. It was, it was just a really interesting experience. As you say, you know, when you're up in, in, in Scotland and the, the, the events are invariably in London, it was, it was certainly the case that there were uh, visitors that we had sort of a country breakdown and we had people from Australia, Italy, Switzerland, UAE, U, UK and US uh, visit during that day. So it is um, uh, a, a very, very different way of attracting people to uh, learn a bit more, I think, about uh, how they can help their clients. And have people actually been asking for this sort of experience, Derek, or have you effectively created a market here? Well, two years ago, we did a poll on our site to just see what appetite there may well be for it. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that the there didn't appear from a feedback point of view that there was necessarily going to be a, a fantastic appetite. And indeed, that's another reason why we kind of parked it for a while and uh, that some of the firms who... Uh, took part in this event would have been very keen to see whether this would would work and encourage us to have another go uh, which we said that, that that we would we would do but we did really need to have uh, at least half a dozen 
uh, interesting sort of firms and stands to sort of make this work quite well. And I, I, I have to say, on a from a personal perspective, that if it wasn't for the vision of of, of people like uh, M and G and B and Y and Aviva and Gam and Just Retirement and Canada Life, then it would be quite difficult for us to have actually made this thing work. So James, um, you were heavily involved in putting this together and, and, and you do a lot of the technology work for Panacea Advisor. Can you tell me a bit about the technology that makes the, makes the virtual conference a reality? Yeah, the, um, the te- technology is quite good. It's, it's almost a video game like in, in how it appears on the screen. So it's, it's almost like SimCity, you can wander around there um, there, there's some feedback from some people that they're, they're wanting to walk around and, and possibly attack people because it's so much like a video game. I kept thinking that there were going to be looks. zombies jumping out at me yeah. from the sides. So the technology is quite good. It also gives better choice for the for, for the exhibitor as well because when you, you build the stands, they, there's numerous choices. So you could have maybe four or five different stand designs, whereas if you're in a physical event, you would have maybe a choice of, of one or two or in fact however elaborate your budget may or be will probably determine how unusual or, or big your stand is so uh, it's quite interesting that the different stand types that you can choose and also one one of the companies changed their stand halfway through the uh, the event to a totally different style which again i think goes to sort of undermine the flexibility of the uh, of the platform i also think that they're, they're uh, from a technology point of view, I think you noticed that there was some uh, interesting video stuff uh, that was uh, available to watch. And uh, of course, Royal London, who were very supportive, uh, your your old stomping ground, Roger. But yeah. uh, they they have a, a guy that they recently engaged called Steve Webb, who was a, a pensions minister in the previous government. Yeah, and I think it would have been very difficult to have made him available around the UK in 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 the way that uh, that he did. I think the I thing think that really <laughs> stood out for me when I was uh, in that virtual reality was how much of the real conference experience I was getting. The aforementioned video, Steve Webb, it, I went into an auditorium and I could almost have sat down on a chair and watched him talk. As you say, I can visit the stands, and I talked to an old colleague at Royal London who was manning that virtual stand. I could download PDFs of literature as I would pick up a piece of literature from a, from a proper physical stand at a physical conference. I think the only thing that um, was missing from this whole thing was something to eat and drink, to be perfectly honest. Someone did actually uh, make, make the comment about uh, uh, where, where do they get their notepads and pens? It's a great idea, and as you said, Derek, it took two years to gestate, two years to get it to the market. How did you go about selling the idea to the sponsors, and, and, and was there a degree of scepticism? The interesting thing with this, it reminded me a lot of when I actually started Panacea, that people think, yeah, this is a great idea, and yes, it would be good, good to see something like this take place, but we prefer to wait and see how the first one goes. That does make it very difficult to try and sell, sell something. And so I think there was, there was an element of vision. I, I have to say that there was uh, one of the, the key drivers from a support point of view on this was the response that we had from BNY 
uh, and they have a sort of a marketing director there who I've known for a good number of years called Anne-Marie McConnell mm-hmm. and she uh, was quite clear that she felt that there the needed to be a, uh, finding uh, ways to reduce costs in, mm-hmm. in, in events like this and it merited supporting to see if it would, would, would work. And one of the things that always comes up, um, whether it's a physical, real conference or cutting forward a virtual conference like this, is the C word, compliance. Yeah. Did you find there was a, the, in addition to the scepticism that some people might have had, that there was a compliance concern over a virtual conference? Strangely, not where you might think there would be one. Okay. Um, and uh, because... The, for, as far as the, the, the stands were concerned, people were, even if members of the public had decided they wanted to come in, advice has not been given. So that was certainly not going to be an issue. Uh, from the videos that were available on there, I think one or two of the firms had wanted uh, a warning put on the videos that this, these were for professional consumption only, which I think we, we have managed to do. Yeah. Um, but the, the problem was more around uh, IT because you had to uh, have a particular browser uh, and the, uh, unless you had up-to-date versions of uh, the operating systems on your, your computer, some of those were a little bit problematic, we, we understood, post-event. But the biggest concern, for, and say that it's more IT than compliance, is that so many, or in fact pretty much all the firms that operate in financial services these days uh, will block their staff from using particular internet sites or downloading particular uh, browsers or plugins and that sort of thing. So that, that, that was an issue with a couple of firms and indeed one firm uh, who really wanted to sort of make sure this worked for them, which was M&G, uh, they developed a particular plugin to work with this viewer so that from an internal perspective they, they could can interact within their offices rather than having to use an outside uh, computer. One of the reasons why um, I tend to keep the podcast as an, an audio option is because if it's video you know that most people wouldn't be able to watch it during the day unless of course they went away and watched it on the phone or something like that. So Retirement Choices happened. It looks as if it was very successful. You got a lot of coverage in all the financial um, magazines and the um, and the websites. What's the feedback been like from those people who took part, Derek? Well we had some very interesting comments and that was predominantly driven from um, uh, conversations or chats that we uh, we had during the course of the day. There's a guy named Rob Reed, who's the chief technology officer for Alexander House. Okay. And uh, he, he made the call. He said, I'm not a technologist, I'm a technologist, not an advisor. It's like stepping back in time to those 80s games. <laughs> um, and, and then he said, but the concept is great. Total immersion, virtual engagement I love. Takes getting used to but a, a glimpse into the future. Uh, a power planner comment on here, a guy named Jamie Evans, he says, uh, I'm impressed so far, it's much more convenient than attending a conference in person. Uh, on this, another one, a guy named uh, it's an IFA, Neil Morris, he said, the interesting experience and the concept is, I have to admit, slightly surreal, as you said a moment or two ago, right? However, the implication, not only for a conference, but as individual firms, is potentially enormous. Uh, the thought process around whether you could build a website uh, on a similar structure. And what do you think you would do to improve on the concept now that you've done it, now you've had the experience, now that you've played with the technology? James, maybe give me an idea of what you would change if you, and are you going to do it again? 
Well, the key thing we need to, to try and make possible is, is to get more um, advisor engagement, I think, um, uh -huh. in the next one. Definitely, we need a, a good turnout for advice on the first one, but to trying to, to drag some of the more... Um, Untechy types, I suppose. Uh, yeah, um, of advisor to, to turn up would be would be good. It's a simple thing to use, I suppose. It, it's it may be uh, to be more creative and doing a demo of it, maybe a video demo of how you you set your avatar up and stuff like that to, to try and um, do a bit of hand holding, really. I, I think I think one of the really strong messages that I hope people who are listening to the podcast are going to take from this, and this goes back to an earlier edition of the Empath podcast when I was speaking to Pete Chadbourne. Pete was very critical of industry events because, I mean, he, he works out in Colchester and he's saying, if I have to go into London to an event, I'm going to have to get up at the crack of dawn, I'm going to have to go on the train, I'm not going to be able to do any work on the train, then I get to the conference, I wander around, I go to a few speeches and then I have to go back to the office, go back on the train, etc. Whereas with this, once I understand that I can probably see the same people talking, interact with the same people, read their literature, listen to their um, marketing messages without even having to leave the office, I can, I can consume the same amount of content that I would have done had I gone to a physical conference, but I can probably save at least half a day, if not a full day of travel time and downtime for my business absorbing this material. In terms of the average time that, that attendees or delegates spent at this event um, over the course of the, the, the eight-hour working day, it was 46 minutes. Right. Now, from what we understand, the normal time that anyone is either around on a website is anything from 10 to 20 seconds before they sort of go off somewhere else. So 46 minutes is, is quite a bit. I think Aviva made an interesting comment as well. They, they, they said that we should have either uh, some form of musical background going, like Muzak <laughs> background, which I thought was good, yeah, an interesting one. But um, I, I thought perhaps with that idea, it might be better just to have background crowd noise and chatter. So what would you say overall having put this conference on, having gone through the two years gestation period to get it to the market, what would you say is the one big thing you've learned from running Retirement Choices 2016? I think that it takes a long, long time to put it on. I, we're already looking at planning for another one of these, but we're, we're, on this occasion, we're not going to be doing it um, immediately. We're, we're, we're provisionally setting that for six months' time so that we will be able to have time to, to speak to uh, new stakeholders in, in this, those people who maybe want to take, take stands, maybe bring people together in a physical sense beforehand to try and encourage more um, provider engagement. Because ultimately what makes an event attractive, rather like a, a shopping mall, I guess, is that the more interesting stands, the, 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 the higher the, 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 the footfall, rather like in a shopping mall and, and shopping units. And uh, the higher the footfall possibility, the more uh, units are, uh, are sold in shopping malls, or, or in this particular case, the more stands are sold uh, on that. So uh, there is a way, a, a way to go. It might take us another event or two to establish something like this as a norm, but I think it's something that is worthwhile persevering with because it is so unusual and it's, it's so very, very special. And it's pioneering stuff, Derek. 
I think you should be. I think you should be really proud of what you've done, and I think you should be very proud of the of the results. And I'm really pleased that you're going to do it again because I'd like to be involved in the next one. And James, what would you say for you was the one great big thing that you've learnt from running Retirement Choices 2016? I think it's a much more efficient way of doing an event. So when when you look back and you you may travel to the event on the train, you may wander around for a bit, you might not. Uh, be able to necessarily find the person you need to speak to straight away or the keynote speech that you wanted to go and listen to is not necessarily on when you arrive there. Um, th- this particular event, the, all the, the keynotes and stuff were on demand so you could watch it whenever you arrived and it can condense down what may be a, a four or five hour um day an event to, to maybe an hour or an hour and a half so so it gives everyone a lot more efficient use of time I think we're going to see a lot more events like this in the future, whether it's a conference or I can, I can even see an awards ceremony now, something like the Money Marketing Awards or the Health Insurance Awards. And the great thing is you won't have to go down to London. You won't even have to leave your house. You won't even have to have a drink or eat anything. You won't even have a hangover the next day. This is definitely, <laughs> definitely the way forward. Uh, a comment that might be worth closing out on is something that Mark Zuckerberg had said back in September last year. Uh-huh. He was talking about virtual reality. Every new generation of technology gives us new and more immersive ways of connecting. And now we have a chance to create the most immersive experience of all, the feeling of presence, that you're actually there. This is going to be a cha- going to change the way we play, learn, communicate, and collaborate. And I think this 3D immersive uh, game-like technology enabling the sort of real-life dynamics and allowing people to sort of do business and you know find like-minded people in in a, in a space it is uh, a demonstration that you can uh, achieve that very simply. I kind of had a thought um, uh, that last week actually in terms of attending these events and as you know when you you did it Roger you're looking at it on a on a screen but I I can actually see uh, this developing into uh, uh, having an office environment where people have got their computer screen they've got their keyboard they've got their mouse and they might have a you know, trackpad or some other devices they'll have a, uh, a microphone they'll have a camera but moving more into a sort of a gaming world, which is not necessarily what I'm overly familiar with, but you could end up with virtual reality helmets yes. for part and parcel of the, uh, your desktop, uh, which would add a completely different dimension to it all. I think that's a really good place to draw this little debate to a close. Derek, James, it's been fascinating to talk to you. I really enjoyed attending your conference. I've really enjoyed talking about it with you today, and I'm really pleased that it's been successful, and I'm really pleased that you're going to be doing some more in the future. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Let me wish you every success for the future, and no doubt we'll catch up with each other soon, either in reality or virtually. Thank you, Roger. It's been a, been a pleasure. And uh, uh, hopefully when people get to uh, take part in listening to, to this particular podcast, it'll set them thinking about what may or may not be possible too. Thank you again. Thanks, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Protection and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MPAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. 
If you are a provider or advisor or journalist and you have a product, campaign or business model you'd like to talk about, please get in touch. You can be the next guest on the show. And do remember, nothing we talk about on the show is financial advice of any kind. It's all just thoughts and opinions, okay? Okay.